Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm Claire Navarro. To wrap up our series on the space sciences, for today's podcast, we're joined by James Buckley, professor of physics here at Washington University in St. Louis. Like many members of the McDonnell Center for the Space Sciences, Dr. Buckley approaches his study of the universe from a variety of angles. However, certain things going on out there hold special interest. I'm interested in the dark and violent side of the universe. Dark, like dark matter, like black holes, uh, violent, like these really high energy particles or photons coming out at really ungodly rates from very powerful objects in the universe, exploding stars, supermassive black holes, gamma ray bursts, things like this. So that's the stuff I like. For the podcast, we'll be focusing on the first aspect of Buckley's research that he mentioned, the search for dark matter. But to get started, I asked him how he first became interested in this line of work. Middle school encounters with Scientific American, Einstein's The Meaning of Relativity, and, of course, the first Star Wars movie, helped prompt an early interest in physics. His love of astronomy, however, had a slightly different source. For astronomy, I have to say it was probably taking trips to northern Michigan, where the night sky is just brilliant. I would go out on the dock and I would just lay out and just look at the night sky, look at the the Milky Way, the meteor showers and so on. And it was around that same time that this Cosmos series came out, the Carl Sagan's Cosmos series. And uh, I just thought that was the greatest thing. And I would sometimes even like play on the radio like the Vangelis theme music from Cosmos while I was laying out on my back and watching the stars. These days, instead of staring into space from a boat dock in northern Michigan, Buckley is part of a team that uses powerful instruments to detect high-energy gamma rays. One purpose of this research is to search for neutralinos. So what are neutralinos, you ask? And what does that have to do with dark matter? If you tuned into last week's podcast with Professor Ramanath Kausik, you know that dark matter is theorized to fill the universe. Without this invisible source of extra mass, galaxies and clusters of galaxies would fly apart because there wouldn't be enough gravity to keep them bounded together. Kausik also discussed how dark matter may be made up of invisible, weakly interacting particles. This is where neutralinos come in. Now, neutralinos are a specific candidate for these weakly interacting massive particles or WIMPs. Once again, the abbreviation for weakly interacting massive particles is WIMPs. And in this case, massive means about 100 times the mass of a proton. But as Buckley is quick to point out, scientists really don't even know whether neutralinos exist. Any of these results you've seen in the media are spurious. There is no direct evidence for these things yet. But the case for these things, I think, is really a fascinating story. A story that begins with the Big Bang. Today, the Big Bang theory is about as close to scientific truth as it gets. And in this theory, the universe started off much more hot and condensed than it is today. 
It is a bit of a simplification, but you know if you compress a gas, it gets hotter. The early universe was much hotter, much, much hotter, you know, to the point where the, the temperatures were ridiculous in the early universe. In this hot early universe, there were no atoms. Earlier on, protons didn't even exist. But as the universe began to expand and cool, things changed. As this gas, which was filling the entire universe, expanded, different things would condense out. And they would condense out depending on how strongly they were interacting with other, other material. Remember, by definition, weakly interacting massive particles like neutralinos would have had very weak interactions with other materials. So, though there were other factors at play... The bottom line is that weakly interacting particles condense out first. What you say is that the weak survive. The weakly interacting particles that decouple from other stuff earlier in the universe as the universe is cooling off and expanding, those guys, the weak, survive. And they survive to inherit the universe in terms of the mass density. This is true, of course, if it really is these wimps that make up dark matter. Once again, there's no direct evidence for neutralinos. But this type of particle would fit neatly into what scientists already know about the universe. So a massive particle, which is weakly interacting, is just the ticket to fit all of these observations. Similarly, particle physics predicts new particles and things at this the same kind of energy scale. So there's this, this amazing kind of body of evidence, both astrophysical evidence, particle physics evidence, that all intersects on this idea that there should be weakly interacting massive particles. So how do people like Dr. Buckley find out if reality fits into all these theories? To answer that question, think back to neutralinos in the early universe. If they were interacting with standard particles like electrons and protons in the early universe, then they must be interacting with them in the current universe. So it makes sense to build detectors to find them now. Specifically, it makes sense to detect them in places like the centers of galaxies, which, like the early universe, are hot and condensed. But in order to detect these weak interactions, scientists have to know what types of interactions to look for. And this is where science can start to sound a bit like science fiction. Every particle in nature has its antiparticle. And these antiparticles have a lot of the same properties, but with the opposite sign. So if there's an electron, for example, there's a particle called the positron, which is the anti-electron. That's the same guy that's used in positron emission tomography PET scans for diagnosing cancer. It's very much of a real thing. It's used to save lives, and so it's really real. If these two guys get together, since they have all the opposite properties, they basically can annihilate into just pure energy. In this sense, annihilate doesn't exactly mean what it means to a non-scientist, as in completely destroyed. When a particle and its antiparticle get together and form pure energy, that energy can turn into any other particle and antiparticle. And this would theoretically also be true for neutralinos. So you could get two WIMPs coming together, two neutralinos coming together, annihilating to energy, and then forming a quark and an antiquark. These reactions get complicated and occur in many different ways. 
but luckily for those seeking answers about dark matter, there would be a recognizable result. And almost any annihilation into anything else will give rise to gamma rays. And I do gamma ray astronomy, so looking for gamma rays from the centers of galaxies or the center of our own galaxy is a very natural way to look for them. And, and we know quite a bit about how they must, how strongly they must interact in order for this whole picture to make sense and not fall apart. So looking for the results of these annihilations is one way that scientists search for dark matter. Because it doesn't happen in a lab, this method is called indirect detection. Buckley has spent part of his career improving the detectors and instrumentation necessary for this type of work. We designed here at Washington University this flash ADC system, which basically captures the signals from these detectors uh, to make essentially movies at a two nanosecond frame rate. So we can watch these gamma ray showers developing in the atmosphere as a little movie with a frame every two nanoseconds or something like that. As sophisticated as that sounds, gamma ray astronomy is not the only method of looking for dark matter. In fact, there are sort of three pillars of research behind the ongoing dark matter search all of which relate to the different ways that scientists suspect dark matter interacts with ordinary matter. For example, Buckley also recently became involved with the proposed Lux Zeppelin, or LZ, direct detection experiment. Lux stands for Large Underground Xenon Experiment. A mile under the ground in South Dakota, scientists look for dark matter in a huge container of liquid xenon. The hope is that dark matter particles will hit the xenon nuclei, causing flashes of light that would then be detected. It hasn't had any luck yet, but in the future, scientists hope to try the technique using even more xenon. It, it would be based on kind of the largest conceivable mass of liquid xenon that you can put down in a mine, which is about seven tons of liquid xenon. So that's the second of these three pillars of dark matter research. What's the third? And the third way is to use colliders and just to reproduce the conditions of the early universe, the very high energies, the collisions, and just see if these dark matter particles pop out of those uh, very energetic collisions. All of these experiments are enormous, complicated endeavors with thousands of researchers working on the problem. So does it ever get frustrating looking for something and not seeing it? In the end, why is the hunt for dark matter so important? It's almost a religious belief that, that we should always be able to find the answer. I mean, if it's allowed, you know, you could have something that just interacts gravitationally. Why not? I mean, it's possible that someday we'll just run into things we can't, that aren't easily tested in the lab. I mean, it's possible. I don't think there's any a priori reason why human beings should be able to figure out everything about the universe. But uh, we keep going. <laughs>
and subscribe to our weekly podcasts on SoundCloud and iTunes.